Blog Talk Radio. Topics might be the one that we're talking about today. There we go. Sound engineer, I, I've never claimed to be a good sound engineer, so bear with me. Um, the uh, topic that we're covering today is conversion therapy. Now, if you're not familiar with this, it's really kind of a whoa, you know, it's a, it's a, what a concept. Um, conversion therapy uh, was developed by somebody. I, I should have probably done a little historical thing, but I was so shocked by the whole concept that it, it, I didn't bother doing hist- history on it. But conversion therapy basically means we think that we can train you to not be a homosexual or a lesbian. And um, this has gained um, credibility in some circles. We're really lucky to have an expert with us today, Samantha Ames, Esquire. Samantha, are you there? Yeah, I'm right here. It's so good to be here. I'm sorry I'm not a sound engineer either. Okay. <laughs> well, people listen for content, okay, not the music bed. That's just the way it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, some, uh, and Sam, I can call you Sam? Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, great. I always wanted that name, by the way. I just, you know, I, I, I just love that name. Um, the uh, Sam has worked with uh, uh, several organizations. The most current is with the National, um, is it Counselor Coalition for Lesbian Rights? Center, close. Center, okay. Well, okay. Clearly, I'm not a sound engineer or a good memory person. Um, <laughs> and and uh, tell us a little bit, uh, Sam, about what you do for the coalition or center for the center. Yeah, so I am a staff attorney with the National Center for Lesbian Rights, which is a general impact litigation firm fighting on behalf of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people um, all over the country, really. We're one of four nonprofit national legal organizations that does this work. And I am also the coordinator of the Born Perfect campaign, which is a campaign of NCLR um, that seeks to end conversion therapy throughout the country in five years. That goal was set a year ago, so we're now down to four years. Um, and we do and, it through legislation, litigation, administrative advocacy, and public education. Okay, what's administrative advocacy? Uh, good question. Administrative advocacy is the stuff that happens in government that nobody has to pass a bill to do. So um, a super easy way of thinking about this is uh, is Congress has to pass um, a bill to do to do all kinds of things. And right now we know that Congress isn't passing virtually any bill. But the government has to keep functioning. So each agency, like the Food and Drug Administration, the Environmental Protection Agency, each agency has a certain amount of um, ability to function even if the the Congress isn't passing bills. And it's within that function that we can talk about things like regulations and guidelines that they issue that they don't have to pass through Congress but that still have a whole lot of effect. So we can talk to people at these agencies, both in the federal government and within the state government, which includes things like professional licensing boards. Um, each state has a board that licenses professionals, whether it's attorneys, psychologists, social workers, all kinds of professionals. So we work with those licensing boards to make sure that the professionals are behaving ethically. Okay. And so you're talking ethics. What is, what, what is conversion therapy really do and and why would ethics be involved in it yeah it's a good question so conversion therapy is actually a pretty broad term it covers any effort by a professional to change somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity Um, that professional is often a mental health provider Um, it can also be unlicensed counselors through things like summer camps it can sometimes be faith leaders as well but basically any effort to try to force or coerce somebody to change who they are um, so we're talking about mental health. Okay, but wait a minute, Sam. Let me just play yes. out devil's advocate for a moment here. I mean, don't we do that all the time? I mean, we have organizations because I don't like that I that I'm a fat person. We have organizations because I don't like the fact that I'm shy. We have organizations all over the place, and and treatments and professionals who work with people who want to change who they are all the time. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that that. Those 
things are great. You know, if we're talking about self-actualization and helping somebody become who they really are um, and supporting them, that is good therapy. That is ethical therapy. We're talking about with sexual orientation is is something that both that everything you just talked about is missing two things. It's changeable and that it is wrong, right? Being overweight is something that is changeable and many would argue is detrimental to your health. Being um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and I'm just going to use LGBTQ or queer as shorthand for that because it takes up a lot of space, um, sure, yeah. is, is, uh, is A, very, we have, we have solid evidence at this point that it is not changeable, that efforts to change it are not only ineffective, but they're pretty harmful. And we also know from the history of conversion therapy that it really doesn't surface in the mental health uh, research except in cultures and times where um, being LGBT is considered culturally disadvantageous. So it's something that people don't want to be. People think it's evil or wrong or disgusting. Um, We don't really see it outside of that. We know from the research that there is nothing intrinsically unhealthy or wrong about being LGBTQ. It's a natural variation of human identity. Okay. There are a lot of people that I would imagine would argue with that. There there are a lot of people. Um I I feel pretty secure that we have research on our side. Uh there's a great website by Columbia University. It's called the What We Know Project. Um and they go through several contentious issues and they just survey every single study out there, every single bit of research and they collect it all in one place and Columbia University has done this for conversion therapy. There were, I believe, 48 studies, 13 with original research. Um, Twelve of them found that conversion therapy is ineffective, and several of them found that it's harmful. Only one found anything else, and that one, Columbia, like, has a huge disclaimer above it, has huge methodological problems. Um, The researchers themselves aren't even necessarily uh, totally behind it. So, so was that the one I think where the researchers made up the names? I, I mean, I think I saw that study, and the researcher it was credited to Larry Curley and Mo. I think. No, I would I would encourage you to go on the website. Any any study that that was a joke, Sam. There. That was a joke. That was a joke. Oh, I'm Larry sorry. Curley <laughs> Mo. Uh, okay, that all right, fine. Joke. It's early. I, I know, I know where you're going with that. I'm sorry. That <laughs> was in a zone. Okay, that's okay. Um, Let me, you know what, we're getting into our conversation uh, really deeply, really quickly, and I want to give out our phone number because I I hope that we get some calls from folks who want to ask questions of you. Maybe they want to ask questions about conversion therapy and what it is or uh, what they've heard. The phone number for you to call in and talk to Sam or ask a question is 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. And we also have a chat line open. Uh, If you're listening to us on your computer, just click on the chat room, and uh, you can type a question or a comment, and I will share it with our guests. So, again, 646-378-0430. Okay, now Sam, you going back to you know the basically what we're doing right now, I think, is discrediting conversion therapy. But in layman's terms, basically, what is conversion therapy? I mean, is it like a series of classes? Is it some sort of physical uh, program that they try to put people through? What what is conversion therapy, and why did it get why why do people think? I mean, why is it even a thing? Yeah, why is it even a thing? Um, So I'm going to take the first part first. It can take a lot of forms. Conversion therapy is just a set of practices. It's shorthand for a set of practices designed to change someone's gender identity or sexual orientation. And that can range from talk therapy, which is often based in shame, um, in telling people that if they are not able to change, they are not trying hard enough, in trying to find traumatic incidents that have been repressed memories. And we have a lot of research now on repressed memories that suggests that they don't work quite the way that we used to think they work. Um, But there are psychologists out there just through talk therapy saying the reason that you are attracted to people of your gender, the reason that you are gender nonconforming is that you were molested as a child. And so these, these people try really hard to find that in their background and it winds up tearing apart families. Um, it can also take the form of these camps, right? We see we see a lot of uh, this, this has sort of been popularized in, in popular culture and movies. There are camps, especially for kids, to go to, um, 
that claim to be able to turn them straight. And they can range from sort of military-style boot camps to purely sexual orientation and gender identity change effort camps. Um, but basically, the, their kids being run through a curriculum. Um, and, and adults as well, I will say. There are these uh, journey into manhood camps that, um, that involve a lot of uh, – I, I would encourage you to check out. There's a Vice documentary on them, actually, um, onto these journey into manhood camps. They involve a lot of male bonding, um, a lot of sort of going off one-on-one -on -one with a partner. It's a very interesting series of, uh, of techniques. And then there is the, the stuff that we have heard about for years, the sort of quote-unquote pray away the gay, where it happens in a church basement, right? There are um, very – religion is a definite part of this, um, and, and that is not to say that religion is a bad thing. I'm a person of faith. I come at this um, from a faith perspective. Uh, but it can be misused like anything else with power. And there are curriculums that come out of churches that are and come into churches that are designed to facilitate support groups and one-on-one -on -one counseling from a religious practitioner, um, which can get very tricky because when counseling starts to take the form of mental health care, it's very difficult to regulate. Mm. Uh, so you had mentioned earlier ethics. Ethics isn't necessarily... Um, um, I don't, I'm not finding the word I want. Uh, ethics isn't necessarily something that is uh, regulated, whereas um, just about every um, type of treatment, whether it be physical or mental treatment, um, uh, in our country is regulated by some sort of board or licensure or something like that. Is conversion therapy always done by people who have some sort of regulatory board or regulation overseeing them? It's not. But one of the more powerful tools that we have is the fact that there are state licensing boards made up of the very professionals within the mental health industry who are the experts on this. So I live in California, for example, where we passed the very first law um, regulating this. And what it says is that if you are a licensed mental health professional, psychologist, social worker, anything that sort of falls into that category, um, you cannot perform conversion therapy on kids under 18. And the way that we sort of go about doing that is through the state licensing boards, which really are the people who should be doing this. Um, they are the ones who enforce ethical standards for the entire profession. And you know, frankly, conversion therapy already violates some ethical standards within many, many state codes, um, things like non-discrimination. Just about every medical and mental health um, ethics code has a provision about doing no harm. But what happened was the state board started coming to us and saying, it's not quite explicit enough and we need something more to be able to, um, to crack down on this. So we started giving them this language that has been passed now in four states in the District of Columbia that gives them explicit authority to, um, to, to uh, address these issues when they come up in their state. Okay, what do you mean to address it? To, you mean to crack down on the practitioner? Yeah, so, so if a practitioner in California is continuing to practice conversion therapy on kids under 18 right now, they are subject to disciplinary action by the California Board of Behavioral Sciences, which means anything from um, a fine, having to do some classes, to losing your license. Okay, well, what about if it's Frank and Sue at the church who decide that they're really good at talking people out of being gay, and yeah. they talk the whole congregation into sending their children to them? Are they regulated? Yeah, no, that's not something that we can that, that is as easy for us to get at through these state bills, which is why we approach this from a number of different angles. Um, the Southern Poverty Law Center, a great organization, recently had a lawsuit in New Jersey that they won um, against a purely religious organization. It was called Jonah, Jews Offering New Alternatives to Homosexuality. Um, which is exactly as obvious as <laughs> How many alternatives are there? <laughs> yeah. I can only I mean, think of one alternative. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, they, they, had, they had boys um, come into groups, stripped down naked in front of one another, reenact okay. childhood sexual abuse. Okay. You, Sam, you've got to get closer to your telephone. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Um, <laughs> they... So they had they had these boys um, go go out into in, as part of their treatment, undress in front of one another, um, sit in circles, reenact childhood sexual abuse. Um, it was really damaging what they were doing, and all conversion therapy is traumatic. I should say that. 
we have people who have gone through just horrible physical aversive conditioning techniques like electric shocks and extreme Jeez. temperatures. But really, the thing that they all say is that the most harmful part of conversion therapy isn't the physical stuff. It is being told that you can change and that you need to change and that if you can't, it's your own fault for not trying hard enough. So Jonah lost this lawsuit recently. Um, and what the Southern Property Law Center alleged, and I'm going to try to keep this as non-legal-easy as possible, but please feel free to yell at me if I fail at that. Um, I will do so. <laughs> okay, excellent. Uh, basically what the court said is that um, advertising or practicing conversion therapy, saying that this can change sexual orientation, they'd advertise, give me six weeks and I'll make you straight, guaranteed. Um, uh-huh. it's, 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 yeah, right? It sounds a little ridiculous. They were bound to get caught for this sooner or later. It's consumer fraud. Um, it's fraud. And there's the, we don't have to go through any licensing regulations. Um, there's, I mean, as long as they are charging money for it, that is fraud. So they were not only able to um, succeed on that claim in New Jersey, they actually, the conversion therapists on the other side of the case, um, tried to be admitted as experts. And the court not only refused to admit them as experts, said that anybody who thinks that sexual orientation and gender identity can be changed, and that is the subject, that is the basis of their expertise, is by definition not an expert. And then went out to call, to call them flat earthers, which was just like, the courts generally aren't quite that sassy, um, but this yeah. court really was. Call it New Jersey. I don't know what it was. This court was not having any of it because there was, there were weeks of testimony of these kids coming in, and they're young adults now, but they're still very young, coming in and talking about um, just grotesque things that these men did to them. Um, so, so that is a way that we can get at sort of the more religious in nature conversion therapy. You know, we never want to trample on the rights of religion. It's a really important thing. In fact, faith communities, have, strong faith communities have been linked to a lot of resilience from trauma. And there are uh, health consequences associated with being LGBT, the same as any minority stress. Um, and it's a mitigating factor. We know that family acceptance and a strong faith community are both real protective factors for kids. So we don't want to just take kids away from their faith communities. What we want is to talk with those faith communities about how best to take care of all of our kids. Sure. Okay, I, uh, Sam, there's a question that somebody just put in our chat room, and it said, yeah. do you mean that homosexuals cannot change? Do I mean that homosexuals cannot change? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, so, so it's interesting that this person puts it um, as the word homosexual, which is uh, which is sort of a deeply pathologized word and also very specific. There are definitely uh, folks who, who, for whom sexual orientation is a little more fluid, who can move between or who are bisexual. does not mean that you can change that orientation any more than you can change a homosexual or a heterosexual to another orientation. Um, but there are people who have claimed to have changed. Uh, now, now, I should also say that many things happen in the years after they claim to have changed. One of those things is some of them come out as bisexual and say this is a choice that I am making, um, but I never actually changed my sexual orientation, which continues to be bisexual. I am just choosing to live with a person of the opposite sex. Yeah, or yeah. They, uh, they very frequently come out um, or are outed uh, as, as being um, usually gay. And I should say a number of the, uh, the folks who – were re- took real leadership roles in ex-gay ministry programs like Exodus International, Love in Action, um, have since not only come out but really joined the fight on our side to make sure that this doesn't continue, uh, including the founder of Exodus International, former, uh, the last executive director of Love in, a- Love in Action. They wrote this incredibly beautiful open letter um, last year uh, saying this is not only ineffective, it's harmful, we were wrong, we don't want what we did to be used to hurt anybody else, please stop this. Yeah, yeah. Um, When you're talking about change, change of sexual orientation, so to answer this lady's question, no matter how inelegantly she she put it, um, that doesn't change for a person, right? No, it doesn't. I mean, we move through sexuality throughout our lives in different ways. We know that. Um, but you cannot force or coerce somebody to change what is naturally evolving. You know, if somebody is gay, they're going to stay gay. 
Yeah. If somebody is straight, okay. there's a good chance they're going to stay straight. And if they're bisexual, they're going to stay stay bisexual. Exactly. And there's sort of a common misconception around bisexuality, um, right, that, that if somebody sort of chooses to be with a partner of the opposite sex, that means that they're straight now and that their sexual orientation has been changed. When really bisexuality is, is an orientation just like homosexuality, heterosexuality, or any other, and the fact that you are with one partner doesn't change a sexual orientation. Yeah. There was a study that came out um, two years ago, I think, um, and I'm just kind of scanning it as you're talking, and it says the, the one of the authors was named Ricks. Are you familiar with that study? Um, um, it doesn't matter. Tell me a little more Any, about it. Anyway, he said, if anything, the research shows that no one changed. They studied the results of yeah. people who went through these conversion therapy programs. He said, if anything, the, effect, the research shows that no one changed, and in fact it created great harm and great devastation in many lives, especially in the lives of those people who responded. So, um, yeah. you know, the study, studies have consistently shown that it really can be very harmful. But it seems to me, and this is, a, you know, as a person who's not um, involved in, in any um, uh, communities, whether they be hetero, you know, um, any any kind of formal community uh, regarding sexuality, we don't we all the time try to change who we are as a culture. I mean, we talked off air about you know all of these programs where you know I think the research has pretty much shown that if somebody has a predisposition to gain weight, they're going to gain weight unless they <laughs> monitor their behavior very carefully. Um, but yet. We, are, we send people, we go voluntarily to programs that are supposedly going to change us from being a fat person to a thin person um, simply because it will school us, if you will, on the appropriate actions and behaviors. How is that different from conversion therapy where presumably they're sending people to be schooled on how to alter behaviors um, so that they're, they're no longer homosexual? And yeah, I realize that's a grossalization, but, you know. Well, no, it's, but it, it, it highlights something really important, which is that there's a difference between being overweight and being LGBTQ. Being overweight, there is an underlying assumption, is unhealthy. And, and I should add that it's not unhealthy in all circumstances, certainly a lot of variation among body types, but past a certain point, there, is def- there are definitely health risks that we want to get at there, and that can be easily mitigated simply by rolling back some pounds. The underlying assumption that being LGBT is harmful is not the same. There are health risks associated with the LGBT community, but they are exactly the same health risks associated with being any minority. And simply denying that you are something does not make you not that thing. So if there is a person who is, say, 5 feet and 400 pounds, um, that seems to me, and I am not a doctor, as though it it would be good for their health to lose some weight. But simply saying, I am not overweight, is not the way to go about that. So, so there's, there's differences in the underlying assumptions that these things are unhealthy and harmful, and also in the technique and, and how one is sort of geared toward direct positive health impacts on the, on the weight side and on the sexual orientation and gender identity side. The techniques are really geared toward denial and the sort of almost sort of Pavlovian operant conditioning out of something that is felt very naturally and deeply and does not change. Yeah. How does, but, you know, it's kind of interesting that we're talking about this does not change, and yet, you know, I mean, who's all over the news? Caitlyn Jenner, right, who clearly made a change. Mm-hmm. So yeah. as somebody who's not involved in, in this uh, as a general rule, how is that different? You're telling me that homosexuals cannot change, and, and, and you have to tell me why I shouldn't be using that word later. Um, <laughs> but yet here is this big change that's all over the news, and, and people are very supportive of that change. So where what's the difference? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we're talking about with conversion therapy is changing sexual orientation or gender identity. What we're talking about with a gender transition, like what Caitlyn Jenner went through, is changing anatomical sex. Her gender identity is in her head. Her anatomical sex is in her. So when we're talking about gender identity, it does not change. You listen to Caitlyn Jenner talk about her life, and she has known since a very young age that she was not in the body that, she is, that, that, her, that her brain is. Um, her gender identity has been consistent that entire time. Her gender presentation has not. Her gender presentation has changed from masculine to feminine 
and very publicly recently. Um, and she, she is very much sort of going through that process honestly and openly along with a lot of the country because a lot of the country, this is as new to them as it is to you. Um, it's all very new. But the important thing to remember is, you know, we work a lot with transgender youth at NCLR. And these kids are telling us from ages two and three, from as, as soon as they can talk, they're telling us who they are. They know their gender identity. It remains consistent. Um, it is gender presentation that can change. So we have seen a, a, a gender transition that changes anatomical sex, but it does not change gender identity. We've seen, seen the body change, but not the identity. Okay. All right. That kind of makes sense to me. Um, that makes sense? So let's, I know. That's it a does. complex issue. It is. Well, all of this is so complex because we're talking about, uh, in the first place, we're talking about issues that we don't like to talk about very often. Um, yes, as a culture. we are. You know, and so that, you know, that in itself is, is pretty hard. Um, we are. And so, actually, I mean, this topic itself gives us the ability to talk about things that we don't often talk about, specifically yeah. about about the sort of most vulnerable among us who are being, who are facing the hardest circumstances. I cannot tell you how connected conversion therapy is, for example, to youth homelessness. And what we know is that 40% of, LG, of, of youth on the streets are LGBTQ. And the vast majority of them are there because they have been kicked out of their homes or it has become functionally impossible for them to continue living there. And conversion therapy is a big part of that, whether the threat of it was was uh, was lording over them or they just couldn't take another session of this. Um, a lot of youth try to escape by going out onto the streets and they wind up in sex trades and they wind up frequently addicted to drugs. We have one survivor, one incredible guy, who actually a court had to legally emancipate him from his parents because they were putting him through this and would not stop. And he wound up on the street. He wound up um, addicted to drugs. And and he has an incredible journey. He wound up testifying in the Prop 8 trial in California, just graduated Columbia summa cum laude, and on Monday is about to start UCLA School of Law. Incredible guy. So we work with a lot of survivors like that who wind up really showing a lot of what LGBT youth in general are struggling with, and this is sort of one way of looking at what we don't talk about a lot. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, again, I'm going to throw out the the, the phone number, 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430 if you have any questions of our guest um, or, or comments. You're welcome. And again, you can use the chat room uh, to uh, uh, type a comment if you don't want to uh, come make the, the phone call. But six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. And Sam, I must say, I, I really appreciate your candor and openness, and and your your helping me understand this whole issue. When we spoke yesterday, uh, I mentioned um, uh, reunification therapy. Because when I was mm-hmm. reading about conversion therapy, the reunification therapy sprung to mind because of the similarities. For those of you who aren't familiar, reunification therapy is, I consider it junk science. I don't think I'm the only one. Um, when there is a custody issue um, and uh, someone accuses somebody else of alienating children from um, uh, the other parent, um, somebody, some some genius somewhere came up with the idea that, well, we'll just put them through, these kids through some sort of reunification therapy, and then we'll get them to like daddy again, and then daddy can see his kids. Um, not as simple as it sounds, uh, pretty uh, uh, gruesome in many ways. Uh, I can think of numerous situations. But nevertheless, there are a number of people who think this reunification therapy, where you basically trap these kids with these so-called therapists to convince them that, no, daddy wasn't abusive, daddy was this, daddy was that, and you've just been brainwashed into thinking daddy was abusive. Um, how is that different from conversion therapy? Or is it? It's just yeah, a different topic, I the same technique? I can't, yeah, I think it's a different topic, and I can't speak directly to um, the reunification project, I believe what you were referencing. What I will say is that it, it's very difficult um, and and. Working with youth, we know that family acceptance is one of the most important mitigators against these harms that that youth do face. Um, And that if it is possible, we always want to try to get youth reunited with parents. Like most parents who put their kids through conversion therapy, and this is not to say all, but most, 
the vast majority care about their kids, love them, their kid comes out to them, and they don't know what to do, so they turn to a trusted professional, and that trusted professional ends up instigating a relationship that becomes abusive. When we are talking about domestic violence and we're talking about patterns of family abuse, um, that, that gets into a completely different situation. Um, and we, we never want to put a child in a room with their abuser without some serious precautions. What we're talking about here, though, is by and large parents who are not abusive. They're parents who are doing something that is harming their child, thinking that it is helping them. Why, you know, I must, I, I, I had a, a strange upbringing. I mean, I, I grew up in a household where we were prejudiced against the French. <laughs> Didn't matter what race you were, if you were French, you were, you know, some of the earth. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, just different things. And so as an adult or as a young, young woman, I, you know, I was kind of taken aback by some of the prejudices that I encountered in the world because they were strange to me. Um, is there that much prejudice in this day and age against uh, lesbians and gays? I mean, really, is there that much that you as a parent would think your child is going to be, uh, you know, uh, permanently damaged and have a ruined life if you come out as as a lesbian yeah. or gay? I mean, really? uh, there, it depends on where you are. I will say that this week we had the 15th transgender woman in 2015 murdered. Um, that we are seeing Florida right now is refusing to issue birth certificates to same-gender couples um, with their chi- with, uh, when their child is born. And even in the realm of conversion therapy, a lot of people, a lot of people I, I talk about this and they think, oh, that can't possibly be going on anymore. Um, this year we had a bill ex- introduced in Oklahoma by Representative Sally Kern that would have specifically exempted conversion therapy from any regulation. They're fighting really? back. I mean, we are making huge strides. We are absolutely making huge strides. But historically, we know this, right? When a, when a community makes strides as quickly as we have, there's pushback. And we're getting that pushback. And it's coming often violently, especially when it comes to some of the more vulnerable populations, folks of color, low-income LGBTQ folks, and trans folks. You mentioned earlier that this tends to be a hot button for uh, a number of religions. Are there other um, uh, demographics for whom this this tends to be a real hot button? The the idea that, you know, you have to, as you were saying, pray the gay away? Yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly there is a religious element. Though, I, again, I want to say, even even within the religions that you would think least likely to be accepting of LGBTQ people, there are always pockets of folks who are fighting the good fight within that denomination. Um, I'll say that there is some variation among young boys and girls. Um, so, young male-bodied kids who grow up as boys um, are not allowed to be quite as gender nonconforming as girls. Girls, we call it tomboy. Boys, we call it mm-hmm. um, And in fact, in, in, uh, in the, I believe, early 1990s, um, there was something called the Sissy Boy Experiments at UCLA. Um, it's actually a very interesting story. There was this young researcher there, George Reekers, who went on to build a career out of conversion therapy. And he advertised in, in local TV stations for young boys who were playing with dolls, who were sissies, who parents thought might, might turn out to be gay or trans and wanted to fix them. And <laughs> so just because a, a child picks up a doll, we're, yeah. we're going to intervene Which is actually, to make sure. Exactly. And it's important to note, we're talking about sexual orientation and gender identity here. But the conversion therapy industry really does conflate them. Like if a little boy is playing with a doll, that is seen as a problem. Um, and we don't know if that kid is going to turn out to be gay. We don't know if that kid is going to turn out to be gender nonconforming or transgender. We don't know if that kid is going to turn out to be straight and maybe a good dad. We have no idea. Um, but the conversion therapy industry sees this as a problem and preys on parents still having this culturally ingrained notion that it's a problem. So in the 1990s, this one family um, – the Murphys brought their kid in. He was, I believe, five years old. His name was Kirk. Um, for about a year, they put him through trials where they would uh, give him tokens. They would give him one color token if he was playing with boys' toys, blue. And they would give him red tokens if he was playing with girls' toys. And blue tokens... Danger, danger, Will Robinson. 
Yeah, <laughs> right. Red. Right. This is, this is so uh, robotic. And, and blue tokens he turned in for prizes, and red tokens he turned in for punishments that often involved punishing. They tried they punished everything him? they could. Oh, yeah. Oh, my Harshly. God. And so so this was in the 90s. So how is, who is that kid today? He unfortunately killed himself. Um, the interesting thing about this story is that George Reekers continued meeting with this kid throughout his life, and the kid was in a lot of pain, confused, knew he was gay, was not out, um, and George Riker continued publishing books on conversion therapy that have laid a lot of the foundation of this industry. But Kirk is no longer with us, and his sister is the one now fighting to end this. Her name is Maris Ellers, and she is in Minnesota and fighting for a bill there right now um, in wow. honor of her brother. Now, see, this is how my mind goes, because I'm thinking, so what's Merritt's relationship with those parents who insisted on putting that boy, her brother, through this? And, of course, you I know, suppose you don't know. I mean, no, I, I, I think the thing is that it's by and large not bad parents we're talking about here. Um, obviously, there are exceptions to that. And, and I want to I reiterate again that when abuse enters the picture, all of their bets are off, and, and we want to get that kid out of that situation no matter what. But by and yeah. large, these are good parents who love their kids and just don't know what to do when their kid comes out to them or when they see their son start displaying these gender nonconforming behaviors and when they see their daughter getting interested in her best friend. Um, they don't know what to do, and they turn to a trusted professional or a trusted faith leader, somebody in their life who they think can give them guidance on this and who they trust to give them competent and ethical guidance on this. Um, and really what we're doing is making sure that the guidance they're getting is informed by the facts, by data, by research, and by ethical standards of care. So the, these, these practitioners who, who do conversion therapy, have, have any of them been arrested? Have there ever, ever, any of them ever been prosecuted uh, successfully for, for one of these situations where there was a out, bad outcome like we were just talking about? Yeah, it's tricky. Um, it's very tricky, especially when it comes to criminal court. What we what we face a lot of the time is uh, statute of limitations. And again, please feel free to yell at me if I get too wonky or act too much like a lawyer here. Um, okay. But statute of limitations are actually important to understand here, as they are in rape cases and sexual assault cases, some of which honestly correspond with these cases. The problem is that it can take years, sometimes decades, before people have recovered enough from the trauma of conversion therapy to even talk about it. This stuff is deeply traumatic. It often happens in childhood when people are particularly susceptible to this kind of trauma. And it can take a long time before they're ready to tell anybody, much less a lawyer. Um, so, so the problem is that uh, most of the laws that you can use to sort of um, uh, get these folks some kind of justice in the courts have limits on the number of years that can pass occurring and you suing for it. Usually it's about well, three to five years. Well, the, with with child sexual assault, they changed laws so that it's the, the time time limit starts at the moment that the child either turns 18 or w discovers the abuse or whatever. Why um, is there any um, uh, group or any is your organization trying to change those laws to uh, be more like like that so that they they can prosecute when the child is ready, an adult? Yeah, I would. I would love to see that done. The thing is that more often than not, this winds up in civil court. There are definitely exceptions. There's one happening in a criminal court right now in North Carolina with a kid named Matthew Fenner who was put through a deliverance that left him beaten and bloodied um, by oh, the church. That, yeah. So, so when, it, when it rises to that level, it definitely becomes a criminal matter. But mostly we're looking at things like fraud child labor. We're looking at um, breach of contract, really boring sounding claims that actually are the only way that we can get at these folks. There's also malpractice, but malpractice differs from state to state, and it's a little bit tricky when it comes to what rights the patient has um, versus sort of the professional association. So when we're talking about getting justice for the actual survivors, it matters that civil laws that vary so much state to state um, which is which is also different than than child sexual abuse, where by and large um, states sort of go off off the model penal code. Um, 
which is this sort of like grand suggestion of laws when it comes to criminal law. With civil law, it's a little trickier, and it's, there's a lot more variation, and it's harder to sort of get that push done in, in one easy fell swoop. Okay. Now, you, uh, and I don't want to keep hammering on this, but you did mention that this tended, a lot of religious groups tended to support this. What are some of the other groups? I mean, I don't think anybody's shocked to, to know that there might be yeah. some religious groups that, that are supportive of this, but what about other groups? Uh, are there other um, um, areas yeah. that, that think this is just a grand idea? You know, I'll say, for every group on um, on the side of conversion therapy, there is a much larger group on the side against it um, that is growing. So so on, on the conversion therapy side, we do have these faith groups and these faith leaders. And on the anti-conversion therapy, sort of pro-kids' rights side, we have these incredible faith leaders who see the damage that is being done in their congregations and, and speak out against it. Same thing goes for mental health professionals. So they will, they, the other, the um, conversion therapy industry is made up largely of mental health professionals um, who practice this. That said, every major medical and mental health organization in the country has issued a statement condemning these practices as ineffective and, and often harmful. And you can see all of those statements if you go to nclrights.org slash bornperfect. You can see every single statement that has ever been issued by one of those. Then you get families. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, the conversion therapy industry will sometimes trot out parents who want to put their kids through this um, or did put their kids through this or didn't get to and for some reason really wanted to. One of the more powerful things that we have on our side is the fact that conversion therapy tears families apart, but families are strong. So we have this one survivor, for example, who um, – he was told by his conversion therapist not to talk to any of his female relatives. He was in a really tight-knit family, um, this, uh, this super close family in, in New York and New Jersey, and he was very close with his mother and sisters, and he was told he wasn't allowed to speak to them to the point that his mother would make him breakfast in the morning, leave the room. He would come downstairs and eat it, leave for school, and she would clean up. Um, Wait a minute. They're trying to convince this guy to to be attracted to women and the way they're going to do that is to isolate him from women. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So okay. the, the theory behind this, this and um, bear with me because I'm, I'm just okay. repeating right. their theory. The theory behind this is that homosexuality results from um, having too close a relationship with, uh, with for, for boys with feminine figures and identifying with them and that the way oh, blame to the mother. I love that. that. Blame yeah. mom. Yes, okay. The uh-huh. way to fix that is to spend a lot more time with male figures. So ah. the way to fix homosexuality is to spend a lot more time with people of your same sex. Um, and make all the females in your life basically your handmaidens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Very I see how much that so. might work. All of this, oh. you, and you picked up on something important. All of this is... is deeply rooted in rigid, entrenched gender roles. Um, so they yeah. teach boys how to uh, how to play sports and how to do gentlemanly things. But this kid, <laughs> it, it tore his family apart. I mean, not surprisingly, his parents wound up getting divorced. He was estranged from his family for years. It's a really sad story. Um, but at this point, a couple years on, the incredible thing about this story is that his mother and sisters now come and stand with him when he testifies at state hearings. Um, they sometimes testify as well, but they literally stand behind their son. Um, they know that they were duped by this industry and that they were wrong, and it took everything they had to pull their family back together. But actually, this is a pro-family issue. Conversion therapy tears families apart, and it can take years to undo that damage. And sometimes it doesn't get undone in time. So you can actually you can read a lot of these stories if you go to the uh, Born Perfect website and clrights.org slash bornperfect. We have a lot of survivor stories about this. Um, and a lot of them feature these families who have been torn apart and, and brought back together again. Okay, so I'm a parent. I have a, a little boy who likes to play with dolls. <laughs> I, I, this, uh-huh. Coming up with this scenario just gives me the creeps, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I have a little boy. Oh, I thought you were telling me the truth. (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, I, I, I think that there's something wrong there. I think there's something wrong there. So how do I find out? I mean, how do I even know about things called conversion therapy? I mean, do you Google yeah. boys playing with dolls? I mean, how do, you, how do you even find out about these things? I mean, actually, yes. Uh, what you just said is sort of laughable, but also true. And a couple of, so you, you Google ploys playing with dolls, you Google what do I do if I think my kid is gay, anything along those lines used to bring up a list of conversion therapists until really recently, until just about two years ago, used to bring up just a list of conversion therapists in whatever area you were in. And finally, now, because of some of the public education that we've been able to do really just in the last few years, you get a New York Times article and an LA Times article um, and you cannot put your kid through this without knowing the risk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, I, I, just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, well, but like I said, I, I don't. I have a hard time understanding people who have some sort of big, huge fear that their child is not. You know, I mean, I'd be more afraid that my child is going to, you know, turn to drugs or something. You, you have a perfectly fine kid and. Yeah, he plays with dolls. Who cares? Or she wants to, you know, play army soldier. Who cares? I mean, you have something perfectly normal, and you're going to go mess that up because you think that somewhere down the road their sexuality is not going to be the same as yours. I don't know. I, 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 I have yeah. such a hard time understanding that. Um, I mean, I when think there's... it speaks to the fact that our culture is still pretty intolerant of of LGBT identity. We are certainly making progress, and we are making fast progress, but we are far from the finish line. It's also, uh, I mean, I, you know, you talk about um, if it were your son, and a, a lot of these parents, right, like, it's, it's hard to put me in the position of one of these parents, but I, I try because I work with them a lot. Um, and by and large, they're they are great people who really regret what they have done. And the thing is that when it comes to, like, to something like, being scared that your kid is going to go to hell and burn forever, when it comes to being scared that your kid is going to get AIDS and die, those are still very real fears well, in our yeah. culture. Um, yeah. and, but and you don't have to be... Those. Yeah, I mean, Sorry, there but... are plenty of, of heterosexual people that, that have AIDS. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's just me. It's, it's, it's hard for any of us, I guess, to really relate when when that's not our background and it's not our history and and that's i think the hard part about being a human being it's so hard for us to understand experiences that we haven't lived through um, yeah and, and it's also important so to we, know that like th- that when it comes to something like aids actually higher stigma leads to higher rates of hiv transmission because people are less likely to get tested they're less likely to protect themselves they're less likely to even admit that what is going on is going on so actually the best way to protect your kids against these health disparities is to affirm them for who they are. We know the research says. It says that the best thing for LGBTQ kids is the best thing for all kids, which is to be respected and loved and affirmed for exactly who they are. Okay. So you work a lot with, with uh, people who have experienced the so-called conversion therapy and yes. who are now working to eliminate it. Um, there are some states that have made it illegal to do conversion therapy for children. Okay, for those under 18, which are, I guess, technically our children. Um, how many states are, are doing that? So we have so far been able to pass these laws in four states and the District of Columbia, though I should note that Illinois, the governor, is still waiting on signing. He, he is waiting on signing a bunch of legislation right now. It will be in the next few weeks. Um, okay. It's been California, New Jersey, the District of Columbia, Oregon, and Illinois. Um, yeah. And it's... It, we really started this in 2012 with the California bill, and since then we've passed about one bill a year, and this year it's up to two, and potentially there's a third coming down the line. We had 18 states introduce these bills in 2015 alone. We are tracking about 30 over the next few years. Um, so people are finally starting to take notice of this. And the great thing about it is we're getting a lot of bipartisan support. You know, once once people sort of learn and understand what this is, it's not like marriage. Some people can't quite get there on marriage equality for whatever reason, usually religious. But this isn't about that. This is about protecting our kids from serious harm, from lifelong damage that's hugely linked to depression, to substance abuse, to suicide. We know all too well this is linked to suicide. I get these calls. I know all too well this is linked to suicide. 
And so we have people like Chris Christie willing to, the governor in New Jersey, willing to sign a conversion therapy ban into law the same year he vetoed marriage equality. We know this is an issue that people can get. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Well, but that yeah. makes sense. I do see that there's a difference here um, yeah. philosophically. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about, I mean, we talked about this with kids. Is that because nobody tries this with adults or because adults can make their own decisions about it? I mean, is there such a thing as trying to convert adults? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the reason we focus on kids is a couple of things. It's it's uh, it's their target population. This industry really does target not even just the kids but families of these kids. They target the good parents who love their kids and don't know what to do when they come out. Um, so they are first of all targeting this this group of people. They are the kids are often coerced or forced. They're captive audience. They don't have a choice in what's going on. And most importantly, kids are uniquely vulnerable in this stage of identity development to being told that who they are is wrong, to shame-based approaches um, that tell them that if they cannot change who they are, who they are coming to understand who they are, um, that they are not trying hard enough. And we know that it's linked to, that that trauma in childhood is linked to, to sort of really negative health implications later in life in a different way than trauma in, in adulthood is linked to those negative health implications. Um, there are some efforts to get at this for adults. So, for example, there is a bill in Congress right now. Um, uh, Representative Ted Lieu introduced it. He actually, when he was a California state senator, authored the first California bill. Now he's in Congress. Um, he has introduced a bill that would amend the the Federal Trade Commission Act to basically just define conversion therapy, no matter the age of the person going through it, no matter the license of the person giving it, as consumer fraud, period. If it is being done in exchange for money, it is fraud. Um, So that would apply to adults. We're also seeing some statutes come out of states like Minnesota that are talking about vulnerable adults, which is this very interesting population where it's people over 18 but who, for whatever reason of mental incapacity, are unable to make their own medical decisions. Um, so this is applying to them as well. So there are different ways that we're sort of looking at adults. We can also sue um, on the same sort of tort theories that the Southern Property Law Center did, fraud, breach of contract, all those really boring-sounding things that actually have a lot of power here. Um, yeah. And, frankly, the ethical codes that are already in place, non-discrimination, do no harm, they already cover conversion therapy. Um, yeah. So there are ways of filing. Well, and, and in, fact, in fact, the licensed professionals um, who are bound by those ethical standards um, are not likely to be doing conversion therapy because the organizations, you know, the American Psychological Association and, you know, the, the other professional organizations are are not supportive of this. So yeah. it's the people who are, you know, who 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 call themselves the experts in this particular thing that are the dangerous folks for uh, yes. the vulnerable vulnerable people out there. Um, and honestly, um, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to change the subject, so if you have something else to say on this one, go right ahead. Just one closing note on this one is that the people who are on the other side, um, who are the experts, are largely invested because they often are conversion therapists themselves. They, it's also important to remember that many of them identify as ex-gay, um, and we see time and time again uh, this population having folks come over, um, come out, be outed. And, and the work that we're doing at Born Perfect at the National Center for Lesbian Rights is as much for them as it is for anyone. Um, it's, it's tricky because it's impossible to see somebody on the other side of this issue causing such harm to kids um, as an enemy. It's impossible yeah. not to have compassion for them. You know, they are going through some serious self-loathing, self-hatred, and they are using it to harm other people, which is absolutely unacceptable. But if and when they come around um, to the other side, you know, there's there's a place at our table. Well, and it sounds like the that the, those folks are also operating out of a great deal of fear. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's never a good that's never a good approach to operate from a place of fear, no matter what it is. Um, 
uh, real quick, Sam, when I when I was reading our quote in the chat room and said homosexuals, you 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 uh, didn't like that comment. You didn't like the 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 term. <laughs> so wh- why should I not say homosexual, and what should I say instead? Um, that's a great question, and it's not I, it's not bad. It is uh, it is pretty pathologized is the problem. So homosexual was okay. When you say pathologized, what do you mean? You mean it infers that there's something pathologically wrong with the person? Yeah, it was sort of created as a way of describing people who we believed at the time to be sick. And in 1972, um, the APA removed homosexuality from the diagnostic manual that all psychologists use. Um, and it is no longer considered a disease. And since then, there has been sort of a movement to get away from the word that is so associated with become more identity-based. So that's where you get lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, LGBTQ. I tend to default yeah, to queer for Yeah, but when you say short. queer, I mean, it's okay for you to say queer, but it's not okay for me to say queer. Is that right? Um, that's that's an interesting issue. I, I don't think that that's necessarily right. I think that queer is a word that is being reclaimed by the community who it was originally used to victimize um, in a really positive way. And I think that as long as there, you are using it in a positive way, and, and I have to preface this by saying this is just for me, this is me personally, as long as you are using it um, in a positive way rather than a derogatory way, I, I see this as, as, as a word that is completely usable by the rest of the population. Okay, because I can never remember all the letters in the LGBTQRSTUV. I, I, I yeah. don't remember all those letters. Um, and they're always so, changing, too, right? Yeah, and so and they're always adding more, and I'm thinking, gosh, I must be really, getting really old because I can't imagine what that new letter is for. I don't know. <laughs> um, um, and the other quick, quick question I have for you is, when I say gay, am I talking about male or female or both? For me, that describes both. Okay, I know that that's, that's what I thought, but I hear really, people say gay and lesbian. So then I think, oh, I think okay, really, so gay means male. I don't I, know. I think, <laughs> I think the important thing is really just to ask somebody how they identify, right? Like, I know that there are some women who take issue with being identified as gay and would rather say lesbian. And for those people, okay. I call them lesbians. You know, it, and, and that, okay. I, think, I think that extends way beyond sexual orientation and gender identity, right? You ask people what well, they prefer, what all of nickname these they prefer to be are, called. Are just uh, you know these these adjectives are just adjectives, and probably if we replaced them all with the adjective friend, we'd be a much better world. Oh, yes. aren't I sweet? Aren't I sweet? That is um, so sweet. <laughs> um, we have a couple minutes left, and one of the things that I want to ask is, do you have some phone numbers, some resources, some websites for people who would like I more do. information on this? I do. Great. So you can absolutely go to our website, um, National Center for Lesbian Rights. Go to nclrights.org slash bornperfect. Find out more about the campaign. Read more about those survivor stories. You can get a list of every single state this legislation is pending in and all the news updates that we're, that we're going over. And then the other thing that I really want to highlight is that if you are um, in crisis, if you are struggling with this, if you do not know what to do and you are having a rough time, I want to put the Trevor Lifeline out there. The Trevor Project is this fantastic project for LGBTQ youth um, who who basically just need somebody to talk to. Uh, They're a mental health organization, but they have this incredible lifeline, and you can talk to anybody 24 hours a day. It's 866-488. Seven three eight six. That's 866-488-7386. Okay, I'm going to give that again because your connection is a little wonky. 866-488. So 866-488-7386. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, and that's called the Trevor Project. Okay. The Trevor Project, Great. yeah. That's the Trevor Lifeline. And there's Great. also a link to the Trevor Lifeline on the Born Perfect website. Okay, and you can actually get to the Born Perfect website if you just t- if you just go to um, nclrights dot dot org org dot org. Okay, yep. Um, that's that's really good. Okay, and um, I had a you know there's not, I'm shocked, but I could not find a lot of quotes about conser- conversion therapy. I mean, who knew, you know? But I did find a wonderful quote to end our show with and kind of sum up our topic. And um, let me see. I moved my paper, so I've got to find my paper. And this quote, I think, is, okay, here we go. 
The practice of conversion therapy is based on the dangerous, false, and completely unscientific premise that being lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender is an illness or a disorder. Young people who are subjected to this therapy are often severely damaged, often with lifelong negative consequences. And the person who said that is an attorney named Samantha Ames. Samantha, <laughs> thank you so much for being with us today and thank helping you so me understand much, what, what conversion therapy is, and uh, I hope you'll join us again sometime. Join us next Absolutely. week for another uh, hot topic here. I'm still working on it, but we'll see you next week on Three Women, Three Ways. <laughs> 